Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, amen. Our text for this day is from Ezra chapter 6, our first reading where we saw the people of God, they had rebuilt the temple in Jerusalem. They themselves had gathered together finally after years and years for their worship before God. We're also going to be looking at a few other passages as well. What do you do when life disappoints you? What do you do when maybe it's a season in your life or a moment in your life that just doesn't live up to your hopes, your dreams, your expectations? Maybe it's something small like a vacation that just isn't very restful as you were hoping it would be. Or maybe it's something really big like a terrifying diagnosis. What do you do when life disappoints you? What do you do when it's a person who disappoints? When a person in your life that you thought was trustworthy and a person in your life that you thought was faithful, when they disappoint you? And here's the real question. What do you do when God disappoints you? When it's God who seems to be letting you down, when it's God who seems maybe to be far away, God doesn't seem to be listening to your cries, to your prayers. What do you do when God disappoints? Well, that is what we're going to learn about here in Ezra chapter 6. That's what's happening here in this amazing passage of scripture with all the celebration that we've talked about in the worship the people of God here have suffered many different disappointments and the things that they hoped that God would bring into their life, it doesn't seem like God is bringing, at least not in its fullness, all the things that they hoped and believed that God would do for them, it certainly doesn't seem here like God is doing all of those things. And in fact, all of the things that God had promised them, the things that God himself had promised, don't seem to be happening. How do we live by faith? How do we trust? How can we worship, even celebrate in those disappointing, difficult times of life? That's what we're gonna learn here in God's word. Now let me remind you of the story so far. The people of God, for almost a thousand years, they've been constantly, repeatedly turning away from him. They would follow God for a while, and then they would turn away, and they would follow God for a while, and then turn away, and then turn away, and then turn away for almost a thousand years. And so finally, 586 B.C., God allows the Babylonian Empire led by King Nebuchadnezzar and his terrible army to invade the region 
of the kingdom of Judah and the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is destroyed. The walls are torn down. The temple is destroyed. It is a smoking ruin. And thousands of God's people, the Jewish people then, are taken by King Nebuchadnezzar from Jerusalem. They travel over 1,600 miles from Jerusalem to the dreaded city of Babylon. And there they are, and they're waiting can only imagine what they were experiencing. But as they were waiting, God had promised them that one day they would return. He promised them through the prophet Jeremiah. We see this in Jeremiah chapter 29. Listen to these words. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon... I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. I'm going to bring you back to Jerusalem. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And graduates really love this passage of Scripture. You've heard this one before. I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, to give you a hope and a future. And he says, in 70 years, you're here for 70 years, I will bring you back to Jerusalem. And wonderfully, history records for us that it was 70 years later that now through the Persian Empire, the Persian Empire obliterates the Babylonian Empire, and their emperor, Cyrus the Great, God moves his heart, he releases... God's people, the Jewish people, from their exile. And now thousands of them travel back from Babylon over 1,600 miles back to the city of Jerusalem. And you can only imagine their joy and their optimism that God has kept his promise and God has promised them that they are going to prosper and there's hope and a future. It's going to be wonderful when we get back. And they get back to the city of Jerusalem and it's a ruin, and there's no walls. And as we saw a couple of weeks ago, they begin the work of rebuilding the temple. And so they laid the foundation of the temple there in Jerusalem. And the foundation, I, I don't want to uh, uh, you know, use obscure theologically strange terms, but the foundation was dinky. <laughs> it was small in comparison to what the temple had been, the first temple, which was built by King Solomon about 400 years before this. And the people who had grown up in Babylon, I mean, this is 70 years they were there. It was a couple of generations. They never knew the old temple. They thought this was great, and they celebrated. But the people who remembered the glory and the splendor and the size and the wonder of Solomon's temple, when they saw how tiny was the foundation of this new temple, the text says that they wept Allowed, and they were filled with sorrow and grief. They were disappointed. This is what you brought us back for? You said you're going to prosper us. You said it was going to be wonderful in this. And then as we saw last week, not only that, disappointment, 
But all of these people were living around Jerusalem. All of these people had moved into the air. They were living around Jerusalem and no doubt in the city itself. And they began to oppose the people of God and oppress them. And they intimidated them. They discouraged them from building the temple. They didn't want the Jewish people there. They didn't want them to rebuild the temple. And so they discouraged them. They even bribed government officials, the Bible tells us. They wrote letters of accusation against God's people. And the work on the temple, after they laid the foundation, that tiny little foundation, it halted for 15 years. Again, the disappointment. But then, as we see in Ezra chapter 6, when they finally did rebuild the temple, it was a total of about 21 years since they returned. They rebuilt the temple. As small as it was, and the people were going to have a dedication ceremony and offer sacrifices. And it says this in Ezra chapter 6, verse 17. It says, They offered at the dedication of this house of God... 100 bulls, 200 rams, 400 lambs, and as a sin offering for all of Israel, 12 male goats. That seems pretty good. You got 12 goats, 100 bulls, 200 rams, 400 lambs, 400 sheep. Pretty good. But again, when you compare it to the original temple from 400 years, King Solomon's temple. We'll see a stark contrast. This is 2 Chronicles chapter 7, where it says this, that then the king and all the people offered sacrifice before the Lord, and King Solomon offered a sacrifice 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep 120,000 sheep at the first temple how many sheep at the second temple 400 now what does this show us or tell us well it tells us that the size and the number of God's people has greatly diminished but most commentators also see this disparity between the first temple and the second temple in the amount of offerings, and they see in that just how impoverished God's people had become, how poor they were. A disappointment. And not only all of that, I mean, the, I mean, not only was it the size of the temple, which was so small and not as grand and glorious as the first, and all of the oppression and the threats and the legal actions and the oppression of the people around them and their poorness. Despite all of that, there's something even more important. There's things missing from this second temple. The Ark of the Covenant is not here. Raiders of the Lost Ark, Anyone? The Ark of the Covenant has been missing for years. No one knows where it is. The Ark of the Covenant is not there. And the stone tablets that Moses was given by God with his law, the commandments and Aaron's rod and staff, and all that's all gone. And even more than that, devastatingly, there is something vital, vital for God's people that is missing from this temple. Something, or should I say someone, 
that does not show up. That again, if we look at 2 Chronicles chapter 7, the first temple, oh my goodness, look at what happened when they dedicated the first temple. He said dramatically. <laughs> Technology. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, listen to this. It says, as soon as Solomon, that's King Solomon, finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. And when all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and they saw the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, for he is good, his steadfast love endures forever. Oh my goodness, can you imagine the special effects, the fireworks, the fire from heaven. God's glory, it says, descends on the temple. It says it fills the temple so much that the priests couldn't even enter in. Such was the presence of God amongst his people, and all the people could see it. They saw the glory. They saw God himself, his glory. That's the first temple. Second temple, no fire, no glory seemingly no God. God didn't show up. This has made all the more disappointing when we realized there was a prophet living during the time when they were building this second temple. His name was Haggai. You've heard of Haggai. We heard it in the first reading. Haggai was there when they returned from Babylon. He was a prophet of God, and he had actually told the people, Haggai chapter 2, he had actually told them, he says, if you build the temple, it will be filled with the glory of God. If you build it, he will come. Listen to what he says, Haggai chapter 2. Haggai says, be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, rebuild the temple, he means. For I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. Rise up, people. Don't be afraid of the people around you. It's been 15 years. Get to work. Let's rebuild the temple. And when you rebuild the temple, oh, it's going to be filled with the presence and the glory and the light of God himself, just like it was before. Come on. And everyone does. And they build the temple. And God seemingly does not show up. So not only has it been a disappointment and a disappointment and a disappointment, you're supposed to prosper us, a hope and a future, and it's going to be wonderful. Not only is it all these disappointments, but then in the midst of that, God doesn't even show up. He's not even there. And I know there's any number of people in the room today who have had those disappointments in life. Look, if you haven't had disappointments in life, you just haven't lived long enough, just wait. But in the midst of the difficult times of life and the 
hard times of life, and then you, you pray to God, and it just, and, and where are you, God? And where do you receive? So often, just silence. So what do God's people do here in Ezra chapter six? They're angry, they lament, they cry. Look what it says, how they responded in verse 16 of Ezra chapter 6. Is that the people of Israel, the priests and the Levites, and the rest of the returned exiles celebrated the dedication of this house of God with joy. They celebrated. It says, with what? With joy. How could they do this? Haggai had said they build the temple, it's gonna be filled with the glory. They were, they were waiting, they, were, they built the temple. Come on, Lord, we know you're gonna show up here. And all of the disappointments they had experienced, and yet still they have this amazing faith, this stubborn faith, and they're celebrating with joy. How could they do that in the midst of disappointment? The question is, how can you? in the midst of your difficult times and disappointment, still believe, still have faith. And even this joy, what is this joy? Well, it's not like happiness, which can come and go, or, or pleasure, certainly, which is a transitory thing, but it's something deeper. It's a deeper contentment. The Hebrew have the word for peace. It's their word shalom. It's a wholeness and a deep healing within. Despite all the evidence to the contrary and the sorrows of life, still you can believe and know that he is with you. How can that happen for you as it did for them? Well, lest we pick on prophet Haggai and the promise is too much. Let's go back to Haggai chapter two because there's something hidden in plain sight if we read it carefully. Listen again to what he says, the prophet Haggai chapter two. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. God is saying to his people, I am with you. My spirit remains in your midst. Whether you can see me or not, whether you have all the special effects and the fireworks or not, I am with you. And you say, well, how can they believe that and know that according to the covenant I made with you when I brought you out of Egypt? They had his word. They had his promises. And they had a pretty good track record of his works of salvation. The time of the Exodus, right? According to the covenant I made with you, when you came out of Egypt, and they, came, they were in there, Egypt, over 400 years enslaved, and through Moses, and he leads the people out in the parting of the Red Sea and it's Charlton Heston in the movies. You know the story. And so what are the people of God doing? They're remembering the covenant and the promises and they're looking back. They're looking back in order to move forward. 
to still believe. It's, I call it rowboat theology or a rowboat worldview. Because when you're in a boat, when you're in a rowboat, how many times have you actually been in a rowboat? But still, you've seen them. <laughs> Nate and I, we go rowboating all the time. <laughs> a couple of rowboaters. But you're in a rowboat, and in order to go forward, where do you have to look? You have to look back. If you're in a rowboat and, and you're trying to look over your shoulder constantly to see if you're going in the right way, you're going to zigzag and go all over the place. In a rowboat, you have to look backwards, backwards in order to go forwards. That's what God's people were always doing. They were looking back and seeing how faithful God had been to them in the past and the great story of the exodus and the salvation and the covenant that God had made with them. And they knew because that had happened that he was still with them. And God's word through his prophets, the same prophets, the same word that we have today. And in fact, what was the very first religious observation in the new temple? What was the first feast that they celebrated? Ezra tells us here in verse 19. It says that on the 14th day of the first month, the returned exiles kept the Passover. They slaughtered the Passover lamb for all of the returned exiles, for their fellow priests, and for themselves. They celebrated the Passover, the Exodus, God's great salvation. And the lamb, remember the story where they took the lamb without defect and they put the blood over the doorposts of their homes and God passed over and spared them and saved them and made them his people. They look back, they look back. And the same is true for us today as well. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, In times that are hard, in times of disappointment, maybe it's a boy who breaks your heart. Or maybe it's the fact you didn't make the team. Or maybe you did make the team and everything's great, but there's still an emptiness within you. Or maybe you didn't get the promotion. Or maybe the dream house isn't all that dreamy. Or maybe the doctor says the words that you were dreading to hear. Whatever it is, those big moments and small moments, young and old, what do you do? How do you believe God still loves me? We look back to the Son of God bleeding and dying on a cross for you, loving you. Think about the, temp, the first temple and the second temple and all those sacrifices and all those lambs, however many, 120,000 or four, whatever the number, all those lambs and all of those sacrifices for all of those years, that was just a shadow. That was just pointing us to the sacrifice, the true and greater Lamb of God. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. In the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the sorrow with the tears, to hold the cross before you and know, despite all the evidence to the contrary, that he is always for you, always loves you, and is working through it all. 
Many of you know the hymn, Abide With Me. We sing it at funerals. It is about our moment of passing, the moment of death. And one could say that's the greatest disappointment if you didn't know, where are you, God? Here I am in my moment of taking my final breath. And there's a verse in that hymn that says this, Hold thou thy cross before my closing eyes. Shine through the gloom and point me to the skies. As you take your final breath and close your eyes one last time to see the cross of Jesus and it shines through the gloom and even in the midst of even death, you can celebrate and have joy. And one final thing as we close here. Because not only can we look back and look to the cross and look to the path, look to the exodus and all of God's plan and his word and know that he's always with us and know despite what we're going through, but to also remember that God's ways are not our ways and that he can work in ways we never possibly imagined. That God works through even the worst times of your life in ways and use it in ways that we can't even fathom. Luke chapter 2 is our gospel reading for today. That story takes place about 500 years after this moment when they rebuilt the second temple. And there was a man in the city of Jerusalem, and every single day he goes to the temple. He goes to that same temple. It's been expanded a little bit by Herod, but it's the same temple, second temple. Every single day, this man, his name is Simeon. And he's an old man now, and he's been waiting and waiting. It says here, the text says he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. That means he is waiting for all the promises of God to come true, and he's waiting for that day. He's there in the temple, and all of a sudden he sees a man and a woman, and they're holding a baby, and they've come from this little town, Bethlehem, and they've made their way to Jerusalem. And now this man and woman, and the woman's name is Mary, and she's holding a little baby in her arms. And it says, moved by the Holy Spirit, he sees who this baby is, and he realizes that this is the consolation of Israel. This is what we've been waiting for for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. This is the one, this is the Messiah, this is the Christ. And he takes that little baby up in his arms. He takes God in his arms, and he says, we call it the nunc dimittis. It's part of our liturgy at times. He says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. Shalom. According to your word, your promises, I knew you would keep your word. I knew you would keep your promises. For my eyes have seen your salvation. And he says, this is the Messiah, the Christ. This is God in human flesh. And remember, the words of Haggai who said, you build this temple and one day the glory of God is gonna return to this temple. One day God himself is gonna return to his temple. Who could have guessed or imagined that it would take 500 years and who could have imagined that it would be a baby? God is so cool. He's so wonderful. And whatever the disappointments are, not only look back to the cross and know that he is with you and for you, but to know that he is gonna use that in ways you can't imagine. Until the day, as it says in Revelation 21, and read Revelation 21 if you haven't, 
where there's no more temple at all. It says that God's presence, God's glory covers the entire earth. And he wipes away your tears and we're together forever. To him alone be all the glory.